Welcome to Resilience Unraveled. Hi everybody and welcome to Resilience Unraveled, a podcast that examines all aspects of personal and organisational resilience. A huge all-encompassing subject that covers the ability to thrive in life by harnessing your cognitive, emotional, physiological and contextual abilities. I share stories from people who have thrived despite remarkable obstacles, as well as highly successful practitioners and experts across a range of topics. And this podcast introduces their amazing stories and expertise, as well as my own reflections, perspectives, strategies and tips, which come from my own synthesis of themes and trends from wider learning. You can go to qedod.com forward slash extras to access offers, tools and resources, including free articles and ebooks. For those of you that would be interested in supporting our work and contributing more proactively, you can find our new Patreon page at patreon.com. Then search for Resilience Space Unraveled. So, let's get started. Enjoy the show. Hi, and welcome back to Resilience Unraveled. Um, a resilience and burnout expert today. Wow, just imagine. <laughs> I'm really looking forward to this conversation. We're joined by Dr. Gail Gazelle, and um, well, I'm going to let her tell you all about herself, herself, because it's pointless me saying all the words. Gail, it's a joy to meet you and to spend time with this evening. Hi there. Hi there. How are you? Oh, I'm very well. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me, Russell. It's a joy. And you sound as if you're from across that vast watery expanse in the States. Where are you? I live in Boston, Massachusetts. Oh. So yes, a little ways from you. Yeah, I love Boston. Such a gorgeous city. Fantastic place. Modeled Good. and much after the UK. Indeed. Um, second only to Pennsylvania in terms of my favorite American cities, but there you go. Sorry about that. <laughs> Lots of beautiful places on both sides. There are, aren't they? Well, Gail, let's, let's just start at the very beginning. Tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do. Sure. Yeah, I do a variety of things. Uh, for most of my professional life, I was a physician working in end-of-life care, a hospice physician. And I did that uh, for most of my medical career. And then about a decade ago, I pivoted and uh, actually went back into training and became an executive coach to help other physicians who were struggling with what was considered an epidemic 10 years ago, which was physician burnout. And along the way, I've uh, written a book about resilience, everyday resilience. And so I spend my time helping to build resilience in different populations. You know, in the past, uh, people who were dealt a bad hand of cards and were terminally ill and helping them and their families come to grips with the difficulties they were facing. And then more recently with physicians struggling in what in the U.S. and I think in other parts of the world are problematic healthcare systems. Yeah, uh, amen to that. So uh, both you and I work in the same field, so it would be good to help everybody's understanding, maybe for you to define what you mean by resilience. Hmm. It's a funny word, isn't it? It's open to interpretation. But when I think about resilience, I think about a deep well of resources that actually resides in each and every one of us. And when I think about it even more, it's a little different than the bouncing back, you know, kind of the willow tree bending and bouncing back or the rubber band. It's really reaching our goals, whatever they are, personally or professionally, and doing so with minimal unnecessary difficulty. In other words, minimal unnecessary physical, emotional, spiritual, psychological suffering. 
we all have important goals in our lives. And yet at the same time, we all run into obstacles, don't we? And so what I think is that resilience is about reaching those goals, but doing so and minimizing the wear and tear as we get there. And that's, that's really what I've devoted my career to doing. Mm, fascinating. And, and what are the things that um, compromise or wear down or deplete our resilience, would you say? Mm, there are quite a few, aren't there? Certainly life circumstances can erode our resilience. You know, there are things that are out of our control in terms of where we're born on the globe, whether we're born into poverty or wealth, for example, um, whether we're uh, of a skin color that's the object of racism or other issues like that. So some of resilience, I think, comes with the circumstances, kind of the, the, the makeup that we have that we can't change. But so much of resilience is also what can we can build. And I think when you ask that question, what erodes it, I think we don't always learn how to manage the difficulties that come our way, right? We can be very inflexible about how we approach problems in our lives, and that can trip us up. And we don't always learn how to work with our own thought processes, which is something that can also trip us up along the way. Also, we don't um, always invest in the relationships that are so critically important to support us in difficult times and give us the nurturance and sustenance that we need to get through difficult times. So those are just a few that come to mind. So that's interesting. Let me just go back, if I may, to your discussion around the areas of poverty and skin color or race or whatever way you want to call it. Are you saying that people from those categories have lower resilience or higher resilience because they have a higher burden to um, burst through? Yeah, I don't know that we have a definitive answer to that from a scientific standpoint, but I guess what I'm getting at is um, on the one hand, I'm all about building resilience, and that's something that we can all do, whatever our circumstances are. But I, I think it's also important to be realistic that there are um, there are people that come into this world in far more difficult circumstances than, let's say, I can relate to as a white woman in North America, you know, with reasonable level of resources. And so, I always want to be mindful that um, we have to kind of be realistic that some people are up against more than others are um, through no fault of their own. So that that's really where I'm coming from. Yes, that makes sense. Because actually there's a there's a quite a lot of literature that talks about the the effects of different humans from identical backgrounds having different levels of resilience. So it's the the Chichesco, uh, orphans sort of research. So it's mm -hmm. it's seen by some parties and resilience as being a, a set of skills or competencies or potentially traits as well um but it, but it's interesting isn't it you're, you're right actually if you're born into uh, into extreme poverty the, the the you just have a you just have a greater distance to to mm. come from don't you that's the problem without a doubt yes okay so um i know that um you um, also talk about burnout as well should we sort of should we get all the definitions out of the way in one sort of paragraph and, and get that all dealt with? What, what do you mean yes. when you talk about that? Yes, well, when we're suffering from burnout, we're disconnected from a sense of meaning and purpose. Right. We walk around very unfulfilled, kind of emotionally exhausted. Even if we get enough sleep, we're dragging ourselves from one activity to the next. 
And I specifically work in the area of physician burnout. I'm here in Boston at Harvard Medical School. I do a lot of educating about physician burnout and resilience. And we've seen a lot of burnout in healthcare, largely in physicians, but also in nurses and with many individuals who work in healthcare. And their focus is less, sadly, on the patient in need and a little more on their own suffering. That's one of the hallmarks of burnout as well. Sometimes it's called erosion of the soul. Mm -hmm. So there's a deep sense of pain that people have when they're in burnout that really keeps them from connecting with those that they serve and really should be taking care of. So it's a problem for physicians, certainly in terms of burnout, but I would say it's even a bigger problem for those that they serve, the patients, you know, all of us and our loved ones and the populace who are so dependent on healthcare providers to really be there for them, you know, not just in a, in a uh, expert way, but really in a caring way, really walking with patients during whatever difficulty they're facing in their physical duress. Yes. And that's interesting, isn't it? Because, um, I work with non-physicians, so you'll talk to lawyers and, and a, you know a vast majority of professions who purport to have burnout. Uh, but I always say to say one of the classic signs of burnout is this loss of passion, this loss of um, caring, which is why burnout was originally attributed to the caring professions. I think Freudenberger wasn't there who first started talking about this. Um, and so, is it possible that lawyers and journalists, um, <laughs> who are the potentially don't have caring as part of the job, is it possible that they suffer a form of, form of burnout or are they just overloaded and overworked, would you say? That's probably a fine line, isn't it, Russell? Because I think that so many professions are squeezed in the modern kind of capitalist society, mm. uh, you know, where we're really pushing people to the maximum and particularly with all the technology that occupies our time, you know, People were busy, let's say, before they had busy inboxes, and now they've got the add-on of all the email and texts and other things coming at them and demanding their time. So whether you're really going to call it burnout or simply being professionally squeezed, I think it's kind of a hair's breadth. Yeah. Uh, but I think in a variety of professions, and certainly not just for white-collar workers, um, the, the bur burnout really applies because that same kind of sense of depletion, of dragging oneself, and of not being fulfilled of really not being satisfied and, and seeing your sense of direction, your North Star, your purpose, what it is that you're uniquely here on this earth to do. Hmm. That's interesting, isn't it? Because the concept resilience is fascinating because you can apply to individuals, organizations, teams, communities, economies. I, I don't know whether you can apply burnout as universally as a concept. Do you think it's more a, um, an individual set of presentations or do you have a different view on that? Yeah, I follow the work of Christina Maslach, who's one of the pioneers, you mentioned someone else, but one of the pioneers in the field of burnout really began studying it in the 1970s at UC Berkeley in the States. And it is one of the people kind of credited with uh, to coming up with the term burnout. And I think she would say that it can occur in a large variety of, of professions. It's not just localized, let's say, to healthcare. It really can be much more universal than that. Um, and I think some of the definitions that we've already talked about, that disconnected sense, lack of engagement with your work is really another harbinger of burnout. But Dr. Maslach would say that it can really occur in a variety of workplaces, certainly in the caring professions, definitely. Mm -hmm. Uh, but not always, you know, it can be a little more universal than that. 
Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? And it's become very much the the vogue today. We've had yeah. stress and mental health, and now we're having burnout. Do you think it's a? Do you think it's here to stay, or do you think it's just another fad? I think it is here to say, stay because I think it really captures the essence of what many workers experience in their in their day to day lives. Um, not really being seen, not being valued, not given the time really to do their job adequately. I think again, in this type of society that's go 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 and be on duty twenty four seven, and not really owning that people are more holistic than their workplace. People have lives outside of work. They have uh, demands, they have families, they have priorities, all of which contribute to their thriving, not just for them personally, but in terms of what they bring to the workplace. So I think it is here to stay. I don't think it's um, simply a fad, so to speak. It's interesting, isn't it? It's one of the commentaries of the current generation of people complaining about the, the younger generation that they have poor resilience and suffer more from burnout, which is obviously odd considering they're the parenting generation. But um, do you think this generation has a greater problem with resilience, depletion and burnout when you compare it to, say, the the um, generations uh, during the war periods and such like where it was a different form of stress, anxiety, um, threat, all that sort of stuff. Do you, do you think there's something that differentiates an anxiety-based burnout from a fear-based burnout, for example? It's such an interesting question because isn't it true that every generation kind of believes that they lived through more than the generation after them? And here we are in the pandemic. So if you compare sort of populations that lived through major world wars, uh, and now the pandemic, which we now have a vaccine for, you know, and people can go on with their lives. It, it's kind of an interesting comparison point. And from where I sit, looking in healthcare and specifically at physician burnout, I think that millennials are better able to put limits on their workdays. They're better able to say, this is a job, this is what I'm doing, as opposed to physicians of past generations who may have seen their field as more of a calling. And so it's an interesting dilemma, you know, in the one hand, it's healthy to put up limits. It's healthy to have boundaries and to say, I need some downtime. I need some time to exercise and sleep adequately and make wise choices about my life and really have the sustaining relationships that are so key to my well-being and resilience. So I think there's a lot to be said about that on the positive side. So it's so interesting because when you start peeling away the layers of the onion, you see a lot of complexity. I don't think you see clear cut answers, you know, in a lot of ways on this topic. Mm. Yeah, it's fascinating. So for those of the, for those people who are experiencing a lack of resilience and a surfeit of burnout, I suppose we better tell them what they need to get to grips with, because actually there are a, a huge range of tools to help people now. So how do you how do you match the um, the solution with the symptom at the moment? Right. Well, in my book, I talk about six domains of resilience, and we've covered some of these already. So we've talked about the importance of sustaining relationships. Really, connection is at the heart of the human endeavor. We're not a species in isolation. So one of the things that is really core in building resilience is connecting with the important people in your life and nurturing those relationships and repairing them when they've uh, had damage done to them. So connection is really key. Uh, perseverance, grit, uh, the ability to be motivated to you know, really have intrinsic motivation, really motivation that is tied to what's most deeply important to you as opposed to 
external validation and reward in the form of finances, typically. Flexibility is another really key pillar in any definition of resilience, and really, most importantly, flexibility of mind, flexibility to work with your own mind, to really examine your own thought processes and realize that some of your thoughts are helping you, and many of your thoughts, like self-critical thoughts, are just wearing you down and getting in your way. So flexibility is key, and we can talk about the the role of mindfulness in flexibility as well. Well, can I can I just leap in there because because I'm yeah. actually quite interested in the the mindfulness debate in this area. So should we, as you brought it up, it seems churlish not to actually follow that yeah. thread, and maybe you could explain a bit more about that. Sure. So you know, mindfulness is really about awareness. It's about paying attention, and it's about paying attention to what's right in front of you. And when we think about how our mind works, our mind is very good at telling us stories, right? Telling us stories about our experience. You know, I could be talking with you in an interview like this, and my mind could be evaluating: How am I doing? How am I sounding? How am I coming across as opposed to simply just interacting with you and being fully present in this experience, in these moments? With mindfulness, we get to know our own patterns of mind. We get to really understand where our mind is helping us and where our mind is tripping us up. And again, in my work with physicians, we're so overly focused on the cognitive that we believe that all of our thoughts are factual. We believe that they're all true. We don't realize that some of them are actually false. You know, if you think about self-critical views that one might have, that they're an imposter or that they're not as good as in some endeavor than somebody else, you realize with mindfulness how your mind constructs a whole story picks up data points that are not always objective and really runs with them. So mindfulness is, I I think, really at the heart of resilience. It's at the heart of our beginning to see what's actually true about ourselves and our lives. And once we do that, it can be amazing what we see when we step out of the storytelling mind. And and, and I understand all of that, but let me just clear one thing up. What's in your view, the difference between mindfulness and just pure good old fashioned self-awareness? Hmm. Yeah, it's a good question. Mindfulness also involves working with the judgments that the mind makes. So with mindfulness, we're trying to bring more compassion. So we're not just being aware, but we're also bringing more compassion and less judgment because when we pay attention to our own minds, It's really interesting to notice how many judgments our minds are making about ourselves, about the people that we interact with, about the circumstances around us, really about much of anything. We're constantly forming judgments about this, that, or the other thing. And those judgments, again, can obscure the reality of our actual lived experience. So when we compare awareness to mindfulness, we're adding in that note, we're adding in that caveat to be a kind of mindful, intentional, aware specifically of the judging mind and seeing if you can nudge your mind over to a little more kindness, again, towards oneself and towards others. So that's one of the key differences between the two. Interesting. Yeah, it sounds like you have some thoughts about that. I've met many, but uh, you're here to talk about your side of things today, so that's <laughs> that's okay. I've always um, been very. In, I've always had a. I mean, I, I've read all the originating material on mindfulness and the toll books and such like, and and my take on it is 
mindfulness helps you understand whether you're asleep or not. Because mm. most of the life we are daydreaming. I mean, mm. I think it's nearly half of our days are spent daydreaming. And, you know, you and I could both be dreaming at the moment. So mindfulness allows you to actually check you're alive and awake. Mm. And, and I think that's the difference between it. You know, those old exercises to work out if you're dreaming or not are part of mindfulness, aren't they? They're quite, quite straightforward. Um, yeah, really, really questioning what your mind is up to. And are, yes. you, are you actually present or are you kind of lost in thought, as you yes. say, daydreaming? Well, are you, are you even awake now? I mean, mm. Gayla, how do you know you are? And it's, it's mm. one of those real interesting challenges, isn't it, that we very rarely think about. And it's not a philosophical or sterile debate. It's actually quite interesting because it, it allows us to understand who we are, but also when we are dreaming. And then therefore we can do something about those dreams we have as well, which is an important part in my mind of mm-hmm. how you can begin to build, build resilience as well, because you're working with all parts of, your, all parts of yourself then, aren't you? The waking and the sleeping part. But that is a bigger conversation for another day. (laughs) (laughs) Just read the book when I eventually finish writing it. Um, Brilliant. I I love all that. Um, So um, so you've written a book called Everyday Resilience, which is great. Tell us. It sounds like it's it's one of those great reads. It's got great uh, reviews and such like. So how how can we get our hands on it, Gail? Well, of course, you can get it at Amazon. Uh, Everyday Resilience, a practical guide to build inner strength and weather life's challenges. And as the title promises, it's highly practical. There are a lot of specific strategies and tools that I use throughout the book. And I also provide a lot of vignettes of individuals from a variety of walks of life and the challenges that they face and how they built resilience to whatever obstacles came in their path. And I very rarely do this, but I'm going to now um, just read out your Amazon view, reviews, which are horrendous, aren't they? That's, what a horrible thing for a, a host to do, except I'm looking at 45 ratings, all at five stars. And that doesn't happen very often. So that's fantastic. That's on the UK side, by the way. Mm. So, um, you know, I always think it's a very interesting thing to look at, look at reviews and actually see that people are saying, this is really practical. These are things I can implement. There's something I can do here. Um, you know, so it's beautifully and concisely written. So, you know, the perfect practical guide to building resilience. So it sounds like um, people should have a look at these things because I think it's really important that people are educated to make the sort of um, conscious decisions to help themselves. It's for us, I always think it's about empowering people Mm. to help themselves rather than just holding back secrets and, you know, sort of saying, well, come on my course because, you know, then you'll learn all the secrets. The book was just the the way to entice you. Um, so I, this is what I find interesting about podcasting, the more tips and techniques we can give everybody. So do you see mindfulness as the major um, tool or are there other things that you recommend as part of the resilience mix and burnouts? Um, there, are, there are so many things. I think mindfulness is a big piece of it. Another separate but interrelated topic is self-compassion, yeah, really yeah. moving from being one's harsh, almost inner bully to befriending oneself. Yeah. Um, that can make us so much more resilient to the challenges that we face. I, I saw that as a hospice physician, you know, sometimes people being dealt a really bad hand and finding out at a younger age than anybody would hope that they were dying of some disease or others. And then going into some blame, you know, that it was all their fault, whether it was or not, whether it was related to smoking or not related, this kind of self-castigation, very painful when really their attention needed to be spent on living as well as they could. 
no matter how much time they had. So I, I saw the power of self-compassion as a hospice physician, and I see it daily in my work with physicians struggling with burnout. Uh, you'd mm. be surprised how much uh, physicians uh, challenge themselves, compare themselves to other physicians and think that they're not smart enough, they're not caring enough, they're not as good as at being a doctor as others. So self-compassion is a powerful medicinal, really, to um, help people really find more inner peace and find a little more motivation and strength to deal with whatever challenges come their way. Mm. And and it's, it's, it's an interesting um approach so how do you do it how do you do self-compassion is it things you mm. say to yourself or think about yourself yes. what, where does that come from you know, there's something called a self-compassion break where you bring the lens of compassion towards yourself and notice and mindful awareness notice that you're struggling that you're going through something difficult perhaps during the pandemic for example so the first step in self-compassion is mindfulness, awareness, and awareness that you're the one who's struggling. The second part of a self-compassion break is reminding yourself that it's not because there's something wrong with you. It's because suffering is part of the human condition. And this is what it looks like to be a human being, let's say in the pandemic, for example. So mindful awareness, then the sense of shared humanity. And then the third step in a self-compassion break is so important. It's bringing the same kindness to ourselves that we would bring to somebody that we care deeply about, a child, a loved one of, of another relation, a close dear friend or a patient that we're very care, you know, feeling a tremendous care for. So that's the third component. So it's very pragmatic. In my book, I, I go through the self-compassion break and it's something that readers can find online as well. I think it's a great practice to build the muscle of greater kindness toward ourselves. Mm. Yeah, I, I, like, I like that. I like the fact that you haven't automatically gravitated to the trendy version of gratitude, which is, which is everybody's answer to everything, along with <laughs> Cuban Missile Crisis, you know, everything is gratitude, isn't it? So it's nice to hear something pragmatic and, you know, and I have to say, I agree with you. So it's hard to um, not, not back exactly everything you're saying. So Everyday Resilience, we can find on Amazon. Where can we find more about you, Gail? How can we interact more with you? Wonderful. Thank you. So my website is www.gailgazelle.com. I have quite a few free resources on the site. So I really want to encourage your listeners to go there, click on the free resources tab, and I think you'll find a lot of useful uh, tools there to help build your individual resilience. Brilliant. Yes, there are. Actually, I'm just having a look at it now. There's some really good things. Brilliant. Uh, Gail, spent, thank you so much for spending time to with us today. It's been absolutely fantastic. Hi, everybody. I hope you found that episode useful and interesting. Feedback is always welcomed. And if you're in the mood to subscribe to us or even leave a comment on iTunes or Stitcher, that would be amazing. If you want to suggest ideas or even people you would like me to interview, then reach out to us at qedod.com forward slash contact. As I said earlier, you can go to qedod.com forward slash podcast for show notes or follow the links. And you can go to qedod.com forward slash extras to access offers, tools and resources, including free articles and ebooks. For those of you that would be interested in supporting our work and contributing more proactively, you can find our new Patreon page at patreon.com. Then search for Resilience Unraveled. I look forward to being in your ear next time around. Take care.